As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Some businesses will survive, some businesses will not. Received 90 complaints about price gouging. This is Jenna Sachs with the way Jessica says Molina Health Insurance told her it doesn't cover telemedicine. Jenna Sachs with the likelihood of refunds in tonight's Contact 6 report. We have a problem-solving powerhouse here at Fox 6. It's called Contact 6, and COVID-19 is keeping it busier than ever. Today, we're diving into some of the big consumer issues you need to know about your health, essential businesses, and price gouging. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here on a Friday with my colleague Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Brian. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So we're bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day and every day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this coronavirus news, which just keeps on coming. It's been a month and we still have more than enough to talk about. Absolutely. And as Brian mentioned, we're recording this episode on Friday morning, April 17th. We do want to start off with some big news. Yesterday, Governor Tony Evers directed the Department of Health Services to extend Wisconsin's stay-at-home order another month until May 26th. Republican lawmakers say they're looking at a legal challenge. There's still a lot of information to sort through, and we are going to take a deeper dive into that issue on Monday. But for now... We've been getting a lot of questions about essential businesses, health insurance, price gouging, and so much more. And that's why we're happy to welcome back our colleague, Contact 6 investigator, Jenna Sachs here with us. Jenna, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much. I miss you both. We miss you too. We miss you quite a bit, yeah. So Jenna, for the people who don't know you, what is Contact 6 and how does it work? So Contact 6 has been a segment at Fox 6 for more than 30 years, first with Tom Hooper and then Katrina Cravey and now myself. And basically we have a process where our viewers can send complaints about area businesses and issues they're having to our station and we try to help resolve them. We do a lot of that off air, but we also do some on-air stories as well. So we receive hundreds of complaints every year and we're trying to find fair outcomes for everybody, both the customer and the business. So, Jenna, you work on so many different subjects from day to day, and you field so many questions from consumers, and we're going to talk about a few of them today, and this is not by any means the breadth of everything that you've covered, but there are three that I know you've gotten a lot of questions about. Telemedicine, essential businesses, and then price gouging during this pandemic. Let's start with telemedicine. Telemedicine is one where we're seeing so much more of that now. Of course, we're working from home. Uh, There's all this effort to keep people adhering to social distancing. And going to the doctor when you're sick obviously can be really problematic. So what is telemedicine? And and, and maybe uh, if you can talk a little bit about some of the concerns you've had people reach out to you about. Sure. Well, telemedicine is basically just a doctor's appointment through your computer. It's been around for a while now, but... 
I'm actually thinking, and a lot of experts are thinking, that this is really going to be a launch for telemedicine in the future. A lot of people who are going to their doctor's appointments before this pandemic and are realizing now that this is actually more convenient for them. And I think insurance companies are realizing that as well because we're seeing them expand a lot of their coverage of telemedicine. They were starting to do it before the pandemic, and now they're really doing it. Uh, Medicare has greatly expanded its coverage of telemedicine. Uh, last year in Wisconsin, uh, lawmakers passed a bill that expanded Medicaid reimbursement for telehealth, so they were a little ahead of this, and we're grateful they were at this point. But I think this could really be a changing point for how a lot of people get their their medical care in this country. It's interesting because some states have what's called a parity law, which require all health insurers to cover telemedicine. Wisconsin does not. And I spoke with at least one lawmaker, Alberta Darling, who said that she would support that going forward. Uh, but we have been getting questions about telemedicine. Contact 6 usually gets a lot of questions about healthcare coverage, and this is just how people are getting their care now. So it makes sense that we're getting complaints about that as well. Um, so we had a woman who contacted us. She has a seven-year-old son who receives therapy uh, for some issues that he has trouble coping with, is how she described it. And her insurer told her that it wouldn't cover teletherapy. And she didn't understand why. And when we reached out to the insurance company, they told us there had been a mis miscommunication. They are going to cover her, so everything worked out. But people do have a lot of questions about this now. And thankfully, it seems most major health insurers are going to cover telemedicine, you know, Cigna, United, uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. And big insurance companies are doing studies right now on the cost effectiveness of telehealth because going forward this might actually be more cost effective and there may be incentives they actually offer down the road. It won't be so much an issue of getting coverage, it'll be an issue of them encouraging you to use it instead. And of course before COVID-19 hit it was already difficult to get through if you had an insurance issue or an insurance question. I know people who have spent essentially a year trying to get insurance issues resolved before all this happened. Now with COVID-19, there are more gray areas, there are more phone calls. So I'd imagine it's even tougher for people to get answers and that's where they're grateful when you can step in. Right, and thankfully, people realize that at this point they have to be their own best advocate. They have to call in advance. They have to check on the website to make sure something is going to be covered. But everybody's very overwhelmed right now and there's a lot of new information that's updating. So sometimes it helps when we can cut through some of that for people and find out what has actually been approved for coverage. So I think we're gonna see more of this telehealth trend really con continuing, especially if you think of all the elderly in our community who have trouble getting to appointments. If they can figure this out, that might be really helpful to them. Well, and I imagine there are certain kinds of uh, health needs that are more um, uh, appropriate for telemedicine than others for, you know, things that where it's really a matter of describing symptoms or if it's therapy, things that can be done simply in communication, whether it's in person or over a computer, it makes a lot of sense. And maybe there's been some hesitation in the past to go that way because we believe so much in sort of that in-person contact. But I've got to think there are some areas where you're just never going to be able to see telemedicine. I mean, you break your arm, you can't exactly just get on the computer and say, doctor, is my arm broken, right? Right. And if you need, you know, a, a physical, you have to go into the doctor for that. 
But right now it's really helpful because we have people who uh, have symptoms and they aren't supposed to go into the doctor's office with those symptoms right now unless they've been asked to come in. So they're monitoring a lot of people before they even go through the door. And if they can keep some people with symptoms at home who don't need that you know, really critical care, it's actually better for everybody. If someone hasn't done telemedicine before, they're nervous about going through their insurance company with it because it's a foreign process to them, what are the key takeaways that they should be keeping in mind? Well, I think the best thing you can do is call ahead get an explanation. If you're more comfortable doing it on the phone, that's one way to do it. You may have to wait a little while longer. All these insurance companies have uh, information on their website, and especially about telemedicine right now. All of these major insurance companies have pages you know, right on the front explaining what they're doing about telemedicine, what they're doing in response to COVID-19. So they're trying to make this information more accessible, and they're recognizing that this is just what they need to do right now. Jenna, I don't know if you encountered this as you were looking into this, but one thing that strikes me is, it, it, depending, I suppose, on the technology that's used to to engage in telemedicine, if we're just talking about audio calls, if we're talking about video, um, is is what sort of services or what sort of uh, you know a client is used to do that? Because you think about all these things we're hearing about Zoom and security issues. I've got to imagine with the privacy concerns around healthcare, there must be some attention paid to how do you ensure that those communications with a doctor remain private and and aren't something somebody else can tap into. And you know that's a really good question, and that might be something that arises when we hear more issues with it. But right now, I haven't heard a ton of complaints about that. But I I do. Think think that's something that might come up down the line. It's a really good point. I want to talk about essential businesses now, Jenna, because that's an issue you got a lot of questions about. And you spoke to a lot of different business owners about that, especially now that Governor Tony Evers has extended the stay-at-home order. What's going on with essential businesses, those businesses that are allowed to continue to operate during this time. So if you want to check out the latest list of what businesses are allowed to operate, the WEDC has it listed on their website. Basically what's allowed to operate are a lot of the things we're seeing, healthcare, uh, grocery stores, gas stations, hardware stores, laundromats, transit, hotels, I could go on and on. Other places are operating with restrictions. As we've seen restaurants, they have to close, but they can do takeout and delivery. Churches can remain open, but they can have no more than 10 people. Libraries can have curbside pickup. So if there's a way to keep the service going, you can do that. But there are other businesses that they have simply declared non-essential. You know, residential cleaning services, pet grooming, salons, shoe stores, smoke shops, furniture stores, gyms. A lot of these places are closing. And at the beginning, there was some confusion about what businesses were essential and what would be exempt. I spoke with a CBD store on the day that the state decided CBD stores were non-essential. And they, the owner of that store thought they would be able to stay open because they sold some grocery items and some beverages. So they thought maybe they would fall into that grocery category. The next day he was closed. He found out that wasn't the case. Uh, but there has been some confusion. You know, they, the police had had to start going into some stores. They started doing this in early April, having conversations with the owners of places like Michael's, Joann's, Hobby Lobby, saying, you know, you don't meet the definition of an essential business right now. Will you close? They aren't taking a very confrontational 
confrontational tone with businesses right now, and it sounded like businesses have been understanding and closing their doors when asked, but police were willing to take this to their district attorneys if it got to that point. I haven't heard of any places having to go to that extent right now. It seems like people are willing to comply. But in the defense of these businesses, they really do want to stay open because they want to have their store once this is all over. And that makes a lot of sense because so many small businesses we know of that are, you know, are hurting or losing money. We hear about the loan programs running out of money. What strikes me though is in, in a pandemic uh, and, and with all of this being so new to us, one of the first questions Amanda and I asked about this on this podcast was, how would the governor enforce these kinds of rules? What kind of authority would they have? Do local police have the authority? But interestingly enough, we found that a lot of people, our viewers, are sort of policing each other. And in many ways, I'm guessing they probably view you as part of that sort of enforcement mechanism. You must be getting a lot of calls from people sort of ratting out businesses that say, hey, this one's open. Are they really supposed to be open? Do you get a lot of calls like that? We get a ton of those, actually. And it doesn't really fall into the contact six process and what we're able to do for people because we try to help people get refunds. And basically what we're telling people is to report it to the police because the police aren't going door to door in many communities and knocking on the door and saying, hey, you're open, you need to close your doors. They're responding to complaints. So they're not going to ignore a complaint if they get it and they'll talk to those businesses at that point. But we're not an enforcement agency. We can simply refer people to resources or go to those stores and report on them, which you know our station has done in some cases. Well, and every state that has rolled out criteria for essential and non-essential businesses has been met with some kind of confusion or unforeseen circumstances. So, for example, here, craft stores deemed non-essential, except now there's a realization that the supplies in craft stores can be used to make masks, which people are advised to wear when they're out and about. And that's why we've recently had a revision that says, okay, craft stores can have curbside pickup for supplies for mask-making materials. So these things tend to get tweaked as they go. I'd imagine that's a lot for you to keep up with as those calls keep coming in, Jenna. They do. And if there's a way for these businesses to operate, it sounds like the state is going to let them. You know, CBD stores, they've been declared non-essential, but they can do online sales. And there are quite a few people that would argue that that product is essential. So there are ways to get around this, but obviously businesses want to keep their doors open if they can. But luckily, we are at a point where a lot of places can do those online sales, and hopefully that will help them get through this. We know the governor has said from the beginning that what, what he's really out for and what his what uh, the health department is really out for is, is as much voluntary compliance as possible because we all want the same thing, and that is for this virus to go away and, and whatever the best way is to get there. And, of course, that's controversial right now because people have differing opinions on what's the best approach to that, and that's only going to... Uh, only going to increase as we get further along into this and this governor's order extends. But what, what one thing I recognize just even in myself is you go to what is an essential business, say a grocery store, and there have been times I'm out on stories because we are an essential business. The media has been deemed essential. So I'm out covering a story in the field and typically out in the field, I would oftentimes stop at a gas station and say, pick up a Gatorade. And there've been times I've stopped and thought, well, wait a minute, do I need to be going in this store to pick up a Gatorade? Is that really an essential visit? Now, the business is essential, but do I need to go in? Am I exposing myself or others? So there's questions that we're all sort of facing that aren't necessarily the kinds of things that are enforceable, but they're just questions about behavior that I think everyone's dealing with and sort of learning as we go. 
Right. And it might be very sad to see what our business scene looks like after all this. I, we might have some stores and places that we've gotten accustomed to going that won't be there anymore. We might have a lot more empty buildings and that's a sad reality and a consequence of this. And some people are already preparing for that. So we understand where they're coming from. It's, it's, it's a very difficult time for many people. Let's talk about one of the earliest complaints we started receiving when the COVID-19 issue ramped up, and that's price gouging. A lot of times, I think there's a misunderstanding about what price gouging is. So let's start with what that definition is, Jenna. Sure. On March 12th, uh, Governor Evers declared a state of of emergency in Wisconsin. And at that point, it became illegal to sell items at prices 15% higher than pre-emergency prices. Now, there may be legitimate reasons that prices do go up. You know, they may be having a supply chain issue. If a business can back that up and provide documentation, then they're not going to have an issue. It's those businesses that are raising their prices simply because the items are in demand. Now, thankfully, it doesn't sound like Wisconsin has a widespread price gouging issue. That's what the administrator of the Department of Ag told me. So that's a good thing. But there have been complaints to the state about issues related to price gouging. On March 24th, uh, DATCAP, the Department of Agriculture, Trade and Consumer Protection, sent cease and desist letters to 16 Wisconsin businesses that it accused of price gouging. Uh, It had gone to those businesses, checked out those prices for themselves on items like toilet paper, bleach, water, Lysol wipes um, at places like El Rey, Menards, Cermak, and they followed up and sent out these letters. Now, these businesses all have a chance to respond to these accusations, and the ones I spoke to, which was El Rey and Cermak, they came out very strongly saying, no, we are not price gouging. This is all in response to uh, supply chain and, and prices going up on our end. They were very much denying the allegations against them. Um, but, you know, some of these things were like uh, there was a hardware store accused of selling a roll of toilet paper for $1.99 and a gallon of bleach for eight ninety nine. There was an issue with rice. Uh, there was an Asian market that sold a 50-pound bag of rice for $69 when it was $36 before. So these are the things that we were seeing. There was also some online companies based in Wisconsin. There was something called n95sales.com that was selling those N95 masks at higher prices than market value. And the state felt on that face that appeared to be excessive. Now that website's not there anymore. And maybe that's a reflection of what was going on. But these businesses do have a chance to respond. And those we spoke with said, this is a mistake. The consumers are confused. The department doesn't have the right information. So we're, we followed up with the state. I'm waiting to hear back about whether any of those businesses will have the accusations waived or whether the state will be taking any action against these businesses. I think, Jenna, what's really good for consumers here is knowing that the state is watching and that you're watching, because even if none of these cases lead to any kind of sanctions, they're checking into it. They're saying when we see prices that look like they could be predatory, we're we're going to call you on it and you, we're going to look for that explanation. So there may be reasonable explanations, but at least if businesses know there are people watching, they may be less likely to try to take advantage of the situation. 
Right, and you can still report any issues you're seeing to the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. A lot of issues are being resolved with Amazon, for example. Uh, you may have heard that Amazon was having a lot of issues related to price gouging. There was a group called US Perg, it's a consumer advocacy group, and they did a study in mid-March that found on Amazon the price of hand sanitizer and surgical masks had spiked at least 50%. They actually found a four-pack of Purell hand sanitizer that was sold for $160. <laughs> so at the same time, Amazon had items you know, that were being sold for reasonable prices that were sold out. Um, but since then, Amazon has suspended thousands of accounts globally for price gouging. So it, it, it does appear that that is, that that is something they're working on and Amazon is trying to fix. So it seems like they recognize the problem there. But again, it was mostly those third-party sellers who were responsible. With all the complaints that have been coming in, Jenna, how has your workflow changed and what's your main takeaway from everything that's come in during this pandemic? Ooh, you know, what the complaints are about has changed. We're getting a lot of complaints about things that are related to coronavirus. You know, people who feel that they're working somewhere where their job isn't essential or they felt like they were having an issue with price gouging or they're dealing with a business that has suddenly just dropped out. You know, they were working with the contractor. They can't hear from them anymore at all. Who knows why that is? But it seems like people are are alone and at home and they're frustrated and we're getting more complaints uh, about things I think because people will finally have time to take the action on some issues that they've been dealing with but I think people seem to understand when they feel they've been wronged and they want to find out if that is the case if there's anything we can do and sometimes there is something we can do sometimes we can't but we're always willing to try but it's, it's a lot of the same stuff just slightly different slightly some slightly more unique problems than we've seen in the past so we've been doing open record uh, amanda jenna and, and i have been doing open record now for uh gosh i don't even know when we started this thing but we had what 40 episodes or so before the pandemic hit and and one of the features of open record all that time has been the dinner party question, which we've really gotten away from out of necessity because there's been so much serious news to cover. But this is our first time the three of us back together on the podcast in a while. So I'm going to throw out sort of my own modified dinner party question to wrap things up today. And that is, I'm going to steal this from Ted Perry because he's been throwing this out on, on Facebook and Twitter and getting a lot of response. So it's just a general question. We're all working from home now, sort of, and we're also going out in the field, but we're, we're not working at the TV station. During this whole time, what to you has, has most surprised you about how you're handling or dealing with working from home or just this, this whole situation? So either one of you can start, but what has surprised you about yourself in terms of the way you're responding to this? I don't know yes. if I'm all that surprised. I think once <laughs> you have so many children, nothing surprises <laughs> you anymore. And for those who don't know, Jenna, you have a four-year-old and twin, almost two-year-olds, right? Yeah, very good memory. Yeah, my, my work day is very different than it used to be. I work in this little room in my house. I sit on a futon all day, and I can hear my kids all day long. They're constantly coming in the room and complaining about the babysitter or something that they didn't get that they want. They're bombing all of my Zoom interviews. <laughs> they're just constantly here and in a way it's nice to be near them more and to you know be able to pop out if I need to and try to help or see them 
but it's it's so different and it's not unique to what anybody else is going through but being home and learning that we can do this job maybe that's what's most surprising to me is how much we are able to do this job without physically going into the station we can still get those stories done we can still make it look like it would before this all happened but we're not even going into work we're sitting at home you know voicing stories into our cell phones and you know working on futons all day long so it's i think i'm amazed by how much we've been able to actually get done and that the news looks good although different and how much we're able to churn out right now i think for me that i've noticed over the last few years there tends to be a perception that working from home means you'll get less done and what surprised me about this is working from home means doing more work it it doesn't surprise me that I it's kind of a hallmark of my personality that I have a hard time shutting my brain off from work even though I probably should do it more but working from home for me has meant it's very easy to just stay on my laptop all night and keep thinking about what else we need to cover and what else needs to get done and just do it and then suddenly oh it's been a 12 plus hour day and I know that I've had to be much more aware, and this has made me much more aware of where my emotions are at any given point and where my reactions are coming from and how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way. I've had to pay much more attention to it because it's very easy for that to get lost in the midst of the crazy flow of work that we've all had to deal with. And then it kind of piles up and it bubbles over. So I guess that's really two things that have surprised me the most. But for me, that's that's where I've been. You guys kind of stole both of mine because it's it's, <laughs> it's well, it, but it's two things. Number one, what Jenna said about being surprised at the ability to do television news from home. It seems absurd. And and I think for a long time it was viewed that way because We've had employees from time to time who've had personal situations where they thought, well, maybe I can try to work from home. And I think there was a general sense that, yeah, no, this is TV news. You, you can't do it from home. But here we are with no choice. And what we're finding, what I'm finding, and I think it's actually very freeing, is so often in television news versus what I spent years in radio or versus those who are in print, you were chained to the idea that you've got to get someone in person to sit down and talk on camera. Phone interviews, Skype interviews, now Zoom, they just aren't up the level of what we expect from television. So it you would sometimes settle for it. If I've got to interview someone from across the country and it's the only way, sure, we'll do it. But boy, I'd much rather have someone there in person. And at times we've paid, we've had the, the company pay for uh, photographers in other markets, freelance photographers to go and shoot a sit down interview when we very well could have done something over Skype or Zoom. But now, because that's the only way to do the news, we've sort of come to accept that, okay, you're going to just have to talk over Zoom or Skype or, or do a phone interview if that's all that's available. And that's what we do. And because of that, I've been able to get interviews set up so much more quickly, get them done so quickly, get them done on the spot and put stories together in ways that we've never really been able to do before. So I do feel like it's been amazing how we've been able to figure out the technology side and and sort of accepted that it's okay if it doesn't look amazing. I, I think in the long run, we would love to get back to more in-person interviews. Um, there's so much more you can get out of someone when you sit face-to-face -face with them. Uh, but I think it's been amazing what this station has been able to pull off um, 
with so many people working in disparate places. But the second thing was that length of the day because I'm home and I would think that I'd get more cleaning done. I would think <laughs> that I would be able to get meals made for my kids more efficiently um, and, and things like that, or I'd have time to work out. I'm working out less. I'm working longer hours because it's just here. We get up early to do the podcast and then uh, and then the day hits and then you know, you're going all day long. But I will say this. Regardless of the long hours, and I know I get whiny about it sometimes. We all do. But I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful that we are in a business where we're still essential and we have our jobs because I know so many people are hurting right now and they'd give anything to work long hours if they could. So I, I think I'm grateful for that. And, and it's one of the reasons I take so seriously what we do for viewers because there's a lot of news we're putting out there that people just wouldn't be able to get anywhere else. So, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to work with the team we have because I think we're all you know, working super hard, even if there are three kids crawling all over you, Jenna, you're you're working hard every day. Well said. Well, is this where we get to the part where we wrap up? I think it is. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I just don't want to say goodbye to you guys, but we are going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic. And remember, if there's a topic you want us to discuss or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That's T-H-E, investigators at fox6now.com. Jenna, we're so happy you could be here with us today. We miss you. And thank you for taking us through those big consumer issues. I'm sure that we'll be talking about those with you again very soon. I hope so. Yes. And hopefully we'll all be back in the office sooner than later. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Jenna. And thank you to the people who made this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and for Brian Polson, we will be back on Monday. <laughs>